Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hey, 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 hey. Thank you for tuning in to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. And yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. And as I promise every week, um, our next installment is always going to be something fun and exciting. And today, I deliver. Um, and I always, I, I'm not going to apologize for the past because I think we always do. But today, we definitely um, are going to deliver. Um, today, we have one half of a really adorable gay couple. Um, they, their whole story is available online. You can follow them from how they met to uh, their romance to buying a house and now to their latest adventures, which is LGBTQ plus travel, which they take us fabulous places with fabulous food and fabulous uh, things to see, and they share all of that with us. Um, the couple's name is Matthew and Michael. Um, this started out in 2013 when Matthew made a really heart-wrenching um, YouTube video in which he came out. The video has been seen um, about 350,000 times. And um, it was um, a really poignant sharing um, on his part. He talked about the things that most young people talk about when they come out about, you know, the pressures and the fears. Um, he, it led him actually to a point of a dark place considering suicide, and he talks about how he got through that. Um, very moving, um, like I said, very, very heart-wrenching. Well, somebody was watching that video, and um, that was a young man named Michael, who a year later made a video of his own and sent it to Matthew. And um, then they clicked, um, which is not a big surprise, quite frankly, because they're both adorable. Um, they met a week later, and um, that is, let's just say, history. Um, they uh, became boyfriends, they became husbands, and they have embarked on a life together. Um, so we'll be talking to Matthew more about that in a few minutes and um, their current travels and their tips so we can all um, jump in on the fun. Exciting stuff ahead. Um, before that, I want to introduce our um, co-host, Brody Levesque. Brody is the editor of the L.A. Blade magazine. Uh, Brody, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, and hello to all of our listeners across the world, as it were. Um, it's going to be uh, an interesting Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, excuse me, yeah, that too, Holly, Holly Day period. I'm just having trouble with the English language today. Um, I was just in a briefing with the Centers for Disease Control. Um, the Omicron variant uh, has now uh, almost tripled its uh, viability in about 45 different countries now, including here in the United States. This thing is highly contagious. It's what we do now. Uh, we know that the um, you know current 
vaccines have been highly effective, especially in terms of the Delta variant. What our understanding is is that they're also working against Omicron. However, in some cases, the boosters are a much better idea. Um, we know that the initial symptoms of the Omicron variant uh, are a scratchy throat, not unlike what you would have with a common cold. Uh, that apparently seems to be the big one. Um, the CDC and, of course, everyone else is recommending, you know, if you're uh, able and entitled to a third booster, go get it. Uh, if you have not been vaccinated, folks, you really need to. The death toll is climbing rapidly. The hospitalizations are off the charts. Uh, and it's just quite frankly a death sentence. The Delta variant is highly infectious. The Omicron is even more infectious, uh, and it's a lot faster. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, a grim way to start the show off. But, you know, California right. yesterday uh, ordered masks for the next 30 days. Uh, of course, some jurisdictions in California already have that in place. Uh, other states are already starting to do that in the United Kingdom. Uh, the British Prime Minister has reordered masking in, in, uh, in all indoor spaces. That's happening in Europe. You know, folks, this is no, this is no joke. If, if you right. haven't gotten vaccinated, go get vaccinated. And for God's sake, just wear a mask, okay? Really, seriously. Um, yeah, and, um, and uh, just a couple points, Brody, before you move on from that. Um, the Omicron, uh, from my understanding, uh, first of all, if you have had COVID before and you have immunity, um, Omicron goes through that. It, it, you will still be susceptible to this, and you will not have built up some of the um, immunity system benefits that you would from a vaccine. The vaccine is also susceptible to um, the Omicron. Even if you're vaccinated, you still can catch it. It can get through. But the immunity that you build up from the vaccine um, should help you from serious illness. And, of course, the boosters do even more than that. So this is, um, yeah, this, this is a scary thing. Pay attention to the details as they come out. Um, just want to throw a couple tidbits in. Go ahead, Brody. Yeah, no, it's, it's important. Um, a a longtime LGBTQ plus ally in the U.S. House, California Representative Alan Lowenthal, uh, who represents Orange County and the city of Long Beach in particular, announced today that he's going uh, to retire from the U.S. House. Lowenthal, uh, previous to uh, his service as a congressman since uh, his first election in 2012, served in the California General Assembly for a number of years, and before that uh, was a city councilman of the city of Long Beach. Uh, the congressman has been a very staunch ally uh, of the community. Uh, today, uh, he announced he wasn't going to run for re-election. He's going to kind of ease things back in a statement. He said, it is time to pass the baton. It is time to rest and surround myself with the benefits of a life well-lived and earned honorably in the service of my fellow citizens. Um, my good friend Sam Garrett-Tate, who uh, is over at Equality uh, California, Sam uh, is the managing director of external affairs for EQ California, sent me this in a text. Throughout his career, Congressman Lowenthal has been an unwavering ally to the LGBTQ plus community and a champion for civil rights and social justice in Congress. He served Long Beach with honor and distinction, and he has been a valuable partner in our fight for full lived equality. Um, and, and also uh, Mayor uh, Robert Garcia, who's openly out, um, uh, 
of he's Long Beach's mayor, uh, and sources are telling me today he's probably going to make a run for the office uh, that Longfall is vacating. Uh, thanked the congressman for his service. So, uh, the, in addition to California, the congressman uh, was vice chair of the congressional LGBTQ caucus and vice and, and a member of the congressional uh, HIV caucus. Uh, so we wish the congressman well. Um, yeah. The next two stories, I, actually, I, just, I should probably turn yeah, over to you just, because these are yours. Well, wait, wait, Brody, Brody, before you turn anything over, I, I just want to comment on Lowenthal. I lived in Long Beach in the 90s, and um, he was an absolute hero for the LGBTQ community. Um, he stood up for us before anybody else even thought about us. Um, he he really was did landmark things in the city. Um, to protect the LGBTQ community there, um, so this this is this is a hero, an unsung hero uh, for us, you know, probably regionally, but um, nevertheless, he he stood up for a community and um, just a ton of admiration and grateful he he did what he did and he's able to to pass the baton, but yeah, that let's. Uh, so we moved to the L.A. Blade, and, um, yeah, what are mm-hmm. those uh, top two stories there, Bert? <laughs> the top two trending stories at the Los Angeles Blade this week are written by our host, Rob Watson. Uh, sadly, and I have to note this uh, with a great deal of sadness, uh, Christopher Wright Rice uh, lost his mom over the weekend. Uh, she was just probably one of the most staunch LGBTQ community uh, allies there was. Uh, she, of course, was mother to Chris. She was a novelist. She was a mom. She was a writer. She was a wife. Uh, she was a lot of things. But Anne Rice is probably best known uh, for being the mom and the grandma of what later became known as the vampire uh, genre uh, in popular culture in the United States, starting with her um, amazing book, Interview with the Vampire, uh, which was right. very, very gay-friendly. Um, the second story that is trending right now uh, at the Los Angeles Plate has to do with a group of, in quotation mark, concerned parents in Hastings, Minnesota, who literally went after the parents uh, of a transgender youth, uh, the mother of which was a serving member of the school board, uh, and it got really, really ugly. In fact, to the point where the family has since left Hastings, Minnesota. They literally moved away from their dream house. Uh, they're contemplating whether they want to sell it. Uh, they're not sure they even want to return. Uh, and Rob uh, wrote uh, from his perspective as a gay parent, a gay dad, uh, and, and kind of uh, did an open letter to the concerned parents. Uh, facing Minnesota, right. and on that note, I'm not turning these stories over to you. Yeah. So first of all, on Anne Rice, Anne Rice was an absolute icon, and for a lot of um, LGBTQ people through the years, um, her writing didn't call out LGBTQ specifically. It wasn't about LGBT per se, but the sensibility in it and the fluidity of gender and sexualities that were presented. And the um, just the ethos of her writing um, made LGBTQ people feel very embraced and inspired. She inspired the vampire genre that we know today. Um, vampires would not be the vampires we know 
had Anne Rice not introduced this um, sensual human um, aspect of vampires in her writings. She saw them as outsiders, and so she was really the champion of the outsider in general. Um, it was an honor to write a tribute to her. Um, the article has been read um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times, um, and, but the, the biggest compliment of all for me was, or the biggest, not compliment, but the thing that meant the most to me of all about this was feedback from her son, Chris, who um, appreciated the article and um, as a tribute to his mom. That was, that was a huge, huge thing. Um, the second article, um, Kit, who was the child who was literally outed in this town in Minnesota, the, the enemies of her mom, who's running as an incumbent on the school board, um, outed this eight-year-old child as being transgender where she was not known to be otherwise. And um, she then, as, as a result, got bullied and um, demonized at her school. And that was the situation. So I wrote what I call a Christmas card to the quote-unquote concerned parents of Hastings, Minnesota. And what I did was I wrote the outline of um, parallel to Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, in which they were visited by the uh, ghosts of transgender Christmases, past, present, and future. And um, there's gotten a lot of resonance on this article. Um, A lot of trans people have reached out to me, and I'm very grateful to um, be able to give them voice and stand up for them. Um, And that article, too, has been read hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times. So um, thank you to the LA Blade for publishing him. Thank you for letting me raise my voice in that way. Um, And if you haven't read them, um, I'm objectively saying please do because the points that I make in them are are what's important there. Um, Yeah, so let's switch gears. And um, we are going to talk romance, we are going to talk travel, we're going to talk fabulosity, and with that, I want to welcome to the show, Matthew. Um, Matthew, how are you doing today? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. How so are you? I, <laughs> great. So I totally get <laughs> why you and, and um, um, Michael fell in love with each other. You're both absolutely adorable. Um, I want Aww. to take you back to your original <laughs> video. I, I mean, it was like I – the one thing, because you made the video in 2013, and um, uh, yeah. for me personally, I had been out for quite a while. I lived a lot of that experience. I, in fact, by 2013, I was already a gay dad having adopted two little babies in um, 2002. Oh um, but when I – watched your video, the thing that struck me was how much had not changed in the mind of a young Mm. LGBTQ person Um, and the pain that you went through. Because I, too, when I was coming to terms with being gay, also considered Mm -hmm. ending my life because it was intolerable otherwise. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit through what you were going through at the time that you made the video? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think it's a common theme for a lot of LGBTQ youth growing up um, in general that you can feel stuck 
um, that the current situation seems permanent, that there's no way out of that, um, especially when you grow up in an unaccepting environment or a place where um, people give you the notion that you're uh, worthless or that there's something wrong with you. Um, so I was very much feeling that a lot through my teenage years. Um, and when I made the video, I was uh, 21 years old. I was in college and I was attending a Christian university in Seattle, mm. um, a university called Seattle Pacific University. And this university has some lifestyle expectations laid out for the people that attend the university in which you can't be gay. Um, you could identify as gay, but you couldn't act on that. So for a lot of the population of the school, I had, I had a lot of friends at that university who were LGBTQ. And to us, we felt like we were just kind of this secondary population, this lesser population that was kind of deemed as um, unworthy or just kind of flawed. Um, and when I made my coming out video, I had spent the last six to eight months slowly coming out to friends and family. And I had come to a place since I had been posting videos on YouTube and I had an audience that I was um, talking with weekly. I felt like my life on YouTube as a straight male was not consistent with my life outside of that. Um, since most of my friends and my family knew at that point that I, I was gay. So I felt like I needed to do something to explain myself, to tell my story and really to kind of do what was, you know, needed for my community online, which was, that was the last thing that I needed to do before I was fully out. Yeah. And then Michael, a year later, almost a year to the day, um, sent you his video and he posted it online. Um, he picked up a lot of the similar themes and told his story about coming out. Um, he also referenced, um, you know, having to talk religion and stand up to yeah. religious oppression. Is that a core, you guys don't talk about it much, you know, in, right. in a lot of your videos and everything else, but is that a core value between the two of you in terms of, your spiritual feelings? Yeah, we're, we're both, we both grew up Catholic um, and we're both still spiritual. Um, our like sense of religion and spirituality change, has changed a lot throughout the years, but we still consider ourselves spiritual, you know, and we definitely connected on that at the beginning, just kind of like our similar backgrounds, um, the way we grew up, our feelings about being gay and being Christians and not really knowing what our next steps were in life. Um, so that was a really big connection point for us, um, especially since he was about to enter into dental school and I was getting ready to apply for medical school. Um, both of us were kind of in the state of like, okay, we're both making videos online. We're both gay. We both just came out. And we don't really know what life has in store for us next or if we're going to be accepted in our professions, um, in our religions, in our families, all of it. It was kind of like this big question mark. 
And a week later then, I think he flew to you or you flew to him. Yeah, so actually a week later, it, it, was, it was basically like he posted his coming out video, tweeted it at me. I saw the tweet, immediately responded and was like, oh, my God, hi. <laughs> I was like, hey, he's really cute. And also, we have a lot of similarities, so we need to, like, talk. So we got on Skype that night. We Skyped, talked for hours. Um, I had all the butterflies and warm feelings inside and was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool. I want to talk to him some more. So we ended up Skyping the next night and the next night, and then we exchanged phone numbers, and it was, like, constant. We were just in constant communication from that point on. And then about a week into that, he booked his flight to Seattle. It wasn't until three or four weeks after we had first spoken that, that he actually arrived in Seattle, but he booked his ticket that one week after. Yeah, so uh, Sleepless in Seattle is one of my favorite movies, so the fact that he flew to Seattle to meet you <laughs> and everything, it was just, just kind of kind of works in my whole romantic narrative of the world. You know, everybody, everybody should fly and meet in Seattle. So what would, what would oh my God, like yeah. the first, so romantic. first time when he came to Seattle? I mean, that, that must have been scary, first of all, because a mm-hmm. lot of us know that, you know, as soon as you step offline into reality, yeah. things change. Um, what was your first few days with him like? So the funny thing is that we didn't talk about our feelings towards each other or how we really felt towards each other at all until we met in person. So, um, like, I, I never said, oh, I like you or I think you're cute, anything like that. It was just like, hey, come visit. Both of us were kind of, like, afraid to say anything without meeting each other in person because we're like, well, what if, they're, what if it's awful? What if, what if we're not, like, what if this isn't as good as it seems? And Right. So when he arrived, it felt like fireworks. It was romantic. It was wonderful. It was like, oh, my God, I think I love you. Like, so many things. Um, but it was also very chaotic because um, when he, he landed the next day, we had a school shooting at my university. So, oh um, it, yeah, it ended up being kind of terrifying. Um, I ended up skipping class in the building that the shooting occurred that day because I was showing Michael around um, downtown Seattle and taking a ferry to Manbridge Island. So it was on the ferry back that we saw the SWAT cars going down the highway. I got a phone call from a friend who was hiding. Um, It was insane. So being a small university and everybody kind of knowing everyone, he was around for, the entire week through that experience. Um, And it kind of put our relationship in fast forward because we went from um, just this very superficial, like, Oh, I think you're cute and this is great. And I'm having fun. We're dating kind of thing to, uh, you know, something very serious life and death. Um, Yeah. Candlelight vigil talking about the future, what's going to happen next. And, um, I I just feel like we never really had a honeymoon stage in our relationship. It just dove straight into a really serious one. (laughs) Yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah, you don't see that scene in a rom-com or, you know, it's like. No, you don't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's true. Seriously. 
Wow. No, that, but it, you know, it's, it, that is life. And, and, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it is important to have someone that you can view things like that in life together and be there for each other. It's actually kind of inspiring in itself. Um, you guys have been quoted. That was the, that, um, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that was like the biggest thing of that week was it just showed me how supportive and there for me he was as somebody like we hardly knew each other at that point, but it had felt like we had, you know, that it was just so natural and, um, yeah, the support from him kind of like held me through that entire time period of my life. It was just kind of like a traumatic experience and he was there and, um, there's a lot of other stuff that happened afterwards and he ended up flying back out to Oregon and um, stayed with me for, stayed with me and my family for a couple of weeks. And um, yeah. So I, I mean, within the first month of dating each other, he had met my whole family and there was just like, it was just like a deep dive into a serious relationship, but the support was like monumental. Yeah, no, and definitely like meant to be. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just a superficial thing, you know, for you to be there for each other. I mean, it was obviously, you know, a, a destiny moment. Um, you guys have said that um, one of the secrets behind your relationship is putting the other person first. Um, do you want to comment on that a little bit? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> um, that, that's a tough thing. I don't know. Um, sure, I'll comment on it. Let's see. Um, well, I'll say, like, putting the other person first is also you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else. And so I think with that, I don't want to say, like, oh, just put the other person first all the time. You have to, like, make sure that you're also doing well. And so I think for us, like, both of us in the way that we've grown up and we've had a lot of challenges in our past and a lot of trauma that we've dealt with, um, putting the other person first means that we're taking care of our mental health as well. And that that goes into, like, you know, we both go to counseling and we talk about those types of things with each other. And I think like that's a big part of it because if we're not taking care of our mental health and figuring out how we can like better ourselves, then we're not really doing a good service to our partner. Cause when I get in my anxiety spirals and I'm impossible to deal with. That's not helping anyone. And that's definitely not going to put Michael first in any situation. Right. (laughs) So I think that's a part of it. The other part is like putting the other person first. I, when, when we first met and we started dating, I had a choice of whether or not I was going to um, go for this relationship and see where things went or if I was going to continue life in Seattle and kind of like just move on. And my decision was to move to Nebraska for four years where Michael was living at the time about to start dental school. I decided to take the plunge and try it. My mom told me, 
the worst thing that could happen is it doesn't work out and you just move back home. And I thought that was right. a great way of putting it because I'm like, you know, I, I can try it. If it doesn't work, that's okay. We can move on. We can try something else. Um, and, and I felt like, you know, I was in love. I wanted to see where that went. And I hadn't had feelings like that before. I, I just felt like it needed to be tried. So deciding to go to Nebraska and leaving everything behind, that's a sacrifice. Um, but it, it makes sense because when you love somebody, you're willing to do that for them because being with them means more to you than what you're leaving behind. So I think like right. putting the other person first, that, that goes hand in hand. And, you know, Michael did the same thing for me when we moved out to Oregon after four years in Nebraska, he said, Hey, we can live, leave the Midwest and we'll go live on the West coast because I know that's where you're happy and I'm willing to do that for you. Yeah, I think that is one of the, I mean, there's so many beautiful things about you guys that that is, is a core thing that is, stands out in, in its subtleties is you guys being there for each other. And I love your points about, you know, yes, you have to have your own individual um, well-being, which takes some self-care to put you in a place where you can mm-hmm. be there for another person. But still, it's, it's still there. So um, take us to uh, when you guys decide to get married. Who, who proposed? Oh, Michael proposed. Oh, I, oh. I am so sorry he's not here right now, by the way. I wish he was. He does a great job of <laughs> talking through, like, the moments of the proposal and everything. But um, we were – so that was in 2017 that he proposed. We went to Copenhagen, Denmark for a trip. Um, and we brought his sister along. We brought one of my really good friends, Tanner. And it was our first time in Copenhagen. Um, and I had no idea that that was going to happen. We had talked about marriage and we'd gone and looked at just thinking of like the future and, and where things were going to go like years from now. And, and we were pretty steady on like, okay, yeah, this is going to end up in marriage. But I didn't know it was going to happen then. Um, the proposal happened after we did like a boat tour around downtown Copenhagen and we were in this little area called Niehaven and it's just the iconic, like, have you been to Copenhagen before? I have not been to Copenhagen. I lived in Europe for a while, but I did not get up there. Okay. Got it. Yeah. No, there's this like iconic area of downtown Copenhagen where it's just a whole bunch of colored buildings along this beautiful canal and it's very picturesque and pretty. They have one of those bridges where they have, like, the love locks on them um, that people put on when oh, yes. they're like, this is love forever. Yeah. Yes. I so saw that on a, a real Standing on one of those. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I know. Really weird. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so we're standing on one of those. It was freezing, by the way. This was March of 2017, and it was so cold that day. Um I was starving. I was exhausted. I was not in a good mood. And looking back on it, I feel horrible because I was such a grouch. But it's, like, I didn't know this was the day he was going to propose to me. I was just like, I'm hungry. Um, so we're standing on the bridge and he wanted to take some pictures. And I'm like, oh my God, Michael, we've taken so many pictures today. Can we just like, can we just go to a cafe or get out of the cold? Like, he's like, no, no, no. I want to stand on this bridge. Let's take another picture. I'm like, okay, fine. So 
we start taking a few pictures and then he starts to get down on one knee and I still have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, get off the ground. It's dirty down there. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then he takes out the ring box and I'm like, what are, what are you, what are you holding? Like what's going on? And then when he, 10 seconds while he opened the box to realize that he was proposing. And then I was like, Oh my God, what is happening? Uh, so oh. that's when all the emotions came and it was this amazing, fun moment. Um, you know, you think that people would, like, stop and clap like they do in the movies. No. People were rushing by us <laughs> the entire time. I felt like I was in this guy's way who had a bike, and I'm just like, I'm getting engaged. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was awesome. Oh, well, it sounds, it sounds great. And kudos uh, to Michael for, for, putting for up with me. setting that whole thing up. So, but that leads us to your other your other passion is um, you guys are are becoming the travel gurus. Um, how did Yay. obviously it had started before you got you got engaged since since Copenhagen was uh, on the roadmap. What what uh, what clicked in for you for in terms of travel? Yeah, um, man, I feel like our relationship kind of started with travel because that was the first time that we had met in person. He had traveled to Seattle. I got to show him the city. Um, later on, I moved to Nebraska. We did it by road trip. So a lot of our first memories together were travel. And we've always loved traveling. With him and his family from a young age, he, he grew up in South Dakota, and they had um, a big camper, and they would take the camper out to the West Coast and camp and visit family on the West Coast, and they would do that every summer. So for him, he just learned from a young age of being on the road and what a fun time that is and spending that time with family, which I think is pretty rare and awesome. Um, for me, when I started on YouTube in 2007 and started making this community online, um, a lot of other YouTubers that I was friends with just lived in other places around the world. So once I, once I graduated from high school and started to have the ability to travel, I, a big thing would be I, I would go and visit these friends that I had made online in other countries. Sounds crazy. Well, it did at the time. But that was, like, that was my favorite thing to do. Uh, no, it sounds fabulous. So one of the things you guys do in your videos is you go to restaurants like you did the 10 – Best Restaurants in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so I've got a really – this is not a profound question. This is probably a stupid question. But um, <laughs> when you go into these restaurants, do you, do you let them know that you're there, you know, so that they kind of show you the best of the best? Or do you go kind of a little bit incognito? No, no uh, which. <laughs> almost always incognito. Unless it's something that's set up by, like, a tourism board that we're going with, um, then I'm not telling them that. No, I don't, I don't necessarily like doing that, necessarily, because I want to experience, experience the restaurant as anyone else would going there. Right. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that's cool. So do you order just one thing each, or do you order, like, a few extras so that you can sample um, other things on the menu? Well, Rob, it depends on how hungry we are. 
<laughs> no, I mean, yes. I we usually always get a plate for ourselves, and we'll we'll each share. You know, eat off each other's plates, um, and then we'll probably get an appetizer. And Michael will usually get dessert, and I'll be like, "Oh no, we don't need dessert." And he'll be like, "I want to look at the menu," and I'm like, "Fine, go ahead, look at the menu." And then he'll order well, a couple things, and I'll end up eating them. So, but yeah, but you you have to have dessert. It's a professional requirement. That's what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> I suppose so. In fact, you should be having two or three. <laughs> I hey, actually, um, this what this like recent time we were in uh, Northern California. Michael did order three desserts and he ate them all, and I was kind huh. of impressed. <laughs> but the reason he got three desserts was because. Oh, God. I don't even know if I want to tell you this. <laughs> oh, no. Now you have to. <laughs> we were on – so there's there's this restaurant. Um, oh, it's across the bay from San Francisco. I can't think of the name. Of, Sam's, I think it's Sam's Anchor Cafe. Anyway, they have this dock right off of the restaurant, and we were out there taking pictures, and I we had both taken off our shoes – I put my phone in my shoes um, so we could, like, take pictures barefoot and it'd be cute, whatever. We're sitting on the dock, and then Michael takes a step backwards and accidentally hits my shoe, and the phone falls out of the shoe through the cracks, and it drops down. And I'm thinking, okay, my phone's gone. Well, there's this little Mm -hmm. overhang, like this little board underneath the dock, and it lands perfectly on the board. But you can't reach it from either end of the dock or through the cracks. You can only see it through the cracks. So the only way to get it would be would be to dive into the bay and swim under the dock and grab it. So and who did that? <laughs> <laughs> Michael did. Uh, it was oh. dark and all freezing. Oh God! So, what a hero. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like. The whole restaurant is out on this upper deck, so it overlooks this dock, and everybody at the restaurant just watched us the entire time trying to figure out how to get this phone that had fallen through. And it was a nice restaurant, too. I just I felt so embarrassed, but also <laughs> I was like, Michael, you're going in for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I have to tell you guys, um, I, I loved your Northern California video. Um, it was great. Um, oh, Pleasanton, you. you know, I'm like going, <laughs> you guys, you need to give us a call next time you come out because Pleasanton is, well, I mean, Pleasanton, <laughs> I, I, I probably just lost all my Pleasanton listeners, but um, you got to come to Santa Cruz. Oh, my God. Bay. I mean, that, and, and Big Sur, it's like we're not that much further south than um, we haven't been you're, yet. You're, we need to go. I know you guys need to. It's, it, you will love it. I, I guarantee you. It's like it's it's um, it's an experience. The whole area is is really fabulous. So um, and your video take on it would be excellent and um, you know truly wonderful. So I do understand that you just um, you just went to Can- Cancun. How was that? Yes, it was great. Um, we had a fantastic time. That was Michael's first time in Cancun, um, in Quintana Roo. So he like it was so fun. 
to watch him experience the area for the first time and see how it was. And what what did you guys see there? What 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 was characteristic of it? And and the, the, my other question about yeah. down there is, um, I understand that there's sort of a new crime thing going on yeah. that people have to be aware of. Were you did you come across that at all? No. Yeah. No. That's a good good question as well. Um, yes. So there, from what I've been hearing and seeing on the news, there is crime in the Cancun hotel hotel district area um but the thing is about like when people say that they go to cancun it's a really big area like this is an entire state of mexico cancun not so much it's it's quintana roo but when people say they go to cancun they're really just going to the state of quintana roo along that entire mexican caribbean shore and then they go to a destination around there so we went to playa del carmen you always fly into Cancun, but then you take a shuttle directly from the Cancun airport to wherever you're going. Um, and we stayed in Playa del Carmen. That was our first time in the city, and it was amazing. I stayed in a couple of resorts in Quintana Roo before, but this was my first time actually staying in one of the cities. Um, and it was just, it felt so much more culturally rich. And we had much more ability to go and do and see and experience things around the area, which was amazing. Yeah. What did you experience any of the Mayan um, ruins and some of that, that, that historical yes. stuff in that area? What, what was your impression yeah. of that? That was awesome. And it was kind of unexpected. We were traveling with the tourism board of Quintana Roo um, so we didn't know exactly what the itinerary was going to be until we arrived, but we soon learned that we were going to go and visit this Mayan ruin um, in a place called Muyil, M-U-Y-I-L, and it's right on the edge of one of Mexico's largest um, biodiversity reserves, and so it's just in this beautiful jungle. Um, it's very accessible off the highway. So it didn't really take a lot to get there. But at the same time, like, you just walk a little bit. You walk half an hour through the jungle, and then you're in this incredible Mayan archaeological site. Um, and what I didn't know is that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Mayan archaeological sites all over the Yucatan Peninsula. But there's only a handful that are accessible to the public. Yeah, it's, so I, it's, it's so it's oh, so dramatic when you see them because it's it's just this awareness of this huge civilization that was there before the Europeans got there, and you know it's it's just sort of fascinating, you know, that indigenous people were not just people living in huts somewhere. I mean, it's, it's like this, Yeah, there was civilization. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a humbling in my, to it's me. It's pretty incredible to see and to know like just how much archeology span there is around the Yucatan Peninsula of it. It's just like the ruins are everywhere um, through the jungle. So it's very cool to see. And then at the same time, it's, we, we talk about, like, the Mayans, they were there, but in much of the same sense, they're still there because um, the exactly. people are still living in yeah. these areas. 
and there's still communities around it and they're still living with a lot of Mayan tradition. Yeah, the the culture has changed a lot over the last couple thousand years and especially once the Spanish arrived, but at the same time, like those communities are still thriving, which is kind of cool to see. We went to an area called yeah. um, Tanka and it's a, it's a Mayan community where they still live in traditional ways. Um, and they're, they're not like, you know, those big stone temples. Nobody lives in those, but um, I don't think anyone ever really did live in those. Those were always just used for ritual, <laughs> ritualistic things. But, um, yeah, it's an area where you can still visit. And they make, um, they make a living off of tourism and people visiting the cenotes that are around there, those natural blue pools that people often take pictures of when they visit the Yucatan Peninsula. So you pay an entrance fee, um, and they, they service the area, and that's kind of like their livelihood and being able to um, pay for things while still showing their culture and showing off the natural beauty of the area that they live. That's fantastic. What, what good food did you encounter on that trip? Um, yeah, a lot of the Mexican traditional dishes like enchiladas, tequila, and guacamole, <laughs> things like that, <laughs> of course. But um, something that I really enjoyed trying is just like an open barbecue that they had in the Tonka community. Um, and they had fresh fire roasted chicken and fresh fire roasted pork there. Um, so we just loaded our plates up with that a lot of different traditional salsas that went with it. One of them that was like too hot for me to even taste. I had like the tiniest bit of it and I felt like my mouth was on fire. Um, yeah, I'm a wimp when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had like um, some of the traditional Mexican food, like a uh, grasshopper taco, anything like that? Some of the, Bugs. I haven't, but I would dive into that big time. But I am, oh, it's so I am good. literally glass jaw when it comes to spices. I cannot taste oh, yeah. spices at all. I'm, I, I think I actually have an allergy. I mean, it's like that bad. It, my mouth just goes burned up and, and fried <laughs> instantly. Yeah. So what I is get the weirdest thing that you've had? Food. You, you have hiccups? Oh, wow. I get hiccups from spicy food. It's true. That's, I would I would I would go for that. I mean, if, if instead of the pain that I go through, I would I would embrace the hiccups. <laughs> I'm telling you. What is the weirdest thing that you've tasted on your travels? Oh man, that is I know a you great ate one question. of those. Um, that that it was, it was like a tube of um, it was it was kelp or something. Uh, that you said tastes like an apple, oh, yeah. but salty. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, the kelp's not bad. That was a, a company in Alaska that does kelp farming, and they turn it into salsa dishes and, um, like, pickles. <laughs> like, you can pickle kelp, basically, and it, it's kind of like an alternative to pickles. Um, that was fun. Not the weirdest thing I've had. I, so I've had... Man, I, I'm trying, like, the only thing that's coming to mind right now is this, like, fried gizzard that I had in Peru once, and that was okay. <laughs> well, 
ADQ shows are really good. Go it's, it's not it's, super weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've had an ADQ show before like, at the time. And what? Oh, okay. Have you had anti cuchos before? No. What are the? There are chicken and um, beef hearts, and it's put on a I... skewer, and then they're fried over an open fire. Yeah, I've eaten chicken hearts before, but uh, and but not mine were fried, I think. But um, yeah, no, I'm not. I I just I had to cut out, cut out the cholesterol, so. Um, beef and chicken have oh, gone off my yeah. my current diet, but uh, which means <laughs> you know it's I would love to be a foodie. It, you know, it's like I watch Chopped and and all the food stuff all the time. Oh yeah, but I have a glass jaw when it comes to spices. So me being a food critic oh, no. who can't taste eat spices would be detrimental. And now I don't eat meat or chicken, so you know, I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I live vicarious through through uh, stuff like what you guys do. Um, it looks fascinating. What is on your bucket list of places to go that you guys haven't been to yet? India is at the top of our bucket list. Um, that's an area of the world that we just we have never ventured over to. And I think for us, it's, it's like, it's just the opposite side of the world. And it's going to be like, yeah, from what I've heard, India is something that blows your mind, like all of your senses. Um, and there's, I don't know, there's like a romanticism about it where I'm just like, oh my God, India, I just kind of feel an awe of it. And from what I've heard and the pictures I've seen, it just seems like a place that would completely blow my mind and I would never forget it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's, there's so much in India that uh, on so many levels from, from kind of the spiritual journey to the, the culture to um, everything. I mean, it tastes and spices that, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. That's where the Europeans were headed towards when they found America. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it a huge, huge, rich legacy. Where, where, where else, what's the number two on the list after India? We would really love to make it to Australia or New Zealand. Um, that's more oh. so at the top of Michael's list, I think. Um, we, we haven't made it to Australia or New Zealand yet, uh, but I have a friend who lives in New Zealand, and it's just so tempting to try to make it out there after the pandemic is over and we can actually go. <laughs> yeah. No, that, oh, I, those are awesome. Uh, so what, um, what tips do you have for gay couples specifically to know about traveling that, you know, straight couples either don't worry about or isn't necessarily applied yeah. to them? Um, I think first of all, it's important to research the area that you're going. Um, not necessarily like country specific, but area specific. Like for example, in a lot of places around Mexico, I don't think I would feel necessarily comfortable holding Michael's hand, walking down the road, but in Playa del Carmen, felt totally fine. Puerto Vallarta, feel totally at home, holding hands, walking down the street, kissing in the street, doesn't matter. Um, but there's other areas in the world where it's just not okay to kiss or hold hands whether you're a straight couple or you're a gay couple, they just have different expectations of how you should be in public. And in order to avoid a sense of awkwardness or 
people making rude comments or even being aggressive towards you, it's just important to research what's acceptable in that area. Um, I would also just look up, like, what are some LGBTQ-friendly uh, restaurants, businesses, see if you can find any LGBTQ plus tours or tour companies. Um, I think it's always fun to be able to connect on that level while you're abroad. And if you meet others in the LGBTQ plus community in that city or in the area that you're going, then they might be able to give you a lot of great recommendations of where to go and what to do in the area as well, much more so than anyone else can. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. That's a great idea. Um, so I want I need to do, some of the housekeeping because you have a huge catalog of photography and videos <laughs> and everything else that you guys have, have done. Where do people find out more about you and about, and take part in, in everything that you've done while you've been traveling? Yes. Okay. So the main place that we post is on Instagram and it's at Michael and Matt, exactly how it sounds. Um, and then we also have a website that we post blogs on, um, written stories on where we're going and what we're doing. That's michaelandmatt.com. And then our YouTube is also Michael and Matt. So it's very easy. It's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> no matter the platform. And, yeah, and I encourage people to, to check you guys out. It's like you um, – Matthew and Matt are very open and you get to feel like you know them, which has got to be irritating because I'm sure you go places where people <laughs> act like they know you and you have never met them before. Um, so. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I A lot of times we'll go somewhere and then I'll get a message later that's like, hey, I saw you. And I'm like, why didn't you say hi? So just say hi. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but no, true, I, I love that sentiment. I think that's, that, that's super, super cool. So, um, Matthew, we are almost out of time. We're down to our last five minutes. What haven't I asked you that we should be talking about? Oh, man. Um, well, we could talk about future travels. We've got future stuff going on this next year. Oh, Some cool. What's going on? exciting yeah. stuff coming up. Um, well, on the theme of Mexico, we're heading to Puerto Vallarta in January, and I am really excited for it. It's one of our favorite places to go. Um, and do you have the restaurants already mapped out? Oh, oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. I have some of my favorite restaurants mapped out there. Um, there is this specific restaurant that has the best birria, birria in town. It's so good. I'm trying to think of exactly where it's at. It's in the Romantic District. I have to zoom in on my map to find the name of it. Um, but it is, like, it's divine, incredible. Have you been to Puerto Vallarta before? I have not. I've been to Cancun, not to Puerto Vallarta. I've been to Baja, but not, uh, yeah, there's still, oh, yeah. still places in Mexico I, haven't, I have not explored yet. No. I highly recommend so I will, it. It is unbelievable. Well, I'll probably watch your video first. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we have a video where we go through, like, a bunch of different places in the Romantic District to eat. And we also do this hike from Boca de Tamatlan to Playa Las Animas, which is a pretty popular hike in the area to do, but you usually have to take a bus or a boat to get there. Um, 
and what we found when we went was there wasn't a lot of information online of how to do that or how to actually do the hike. So when we went, we made a guide to help um, other travelers that wanted to do this really scenic, beautiful hike through the beaches and the jungle. And it's through some of these like lesser visited areas around the Puerto Vallarta area. So it's a really great hike to do. And it's probably one of the top things I recommend when going. Oh, for that's sure. awesome. Yeah, that that is so cool. Now, have you guys done Hawaii yet, or is that? Yes, we have. Um, I went with my parents, like, when I was in the sixth grade a long time ago, and I actually just took Michael there for his first time to Hawaii um, this last June for our anniversary. We went to Honolulu. Oh, oh that's so hot. That's great. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today. You guys are you guys are awesome. Um, and uh, please uh, oh, say you. say hi to Michael for us. <laughs> and and sorry we, we can have him on as well. Yeah, and and he'll oh, eventually right. have to tell us the 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 the, the before planning of the the proposal. We we definitely want to hear that story eventually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. so Again, again, Matthew, thank you for being who you are and what you're doing. It's, it's fun. It's fabulous. And um, there's so much heart and love behind um, what, what you guys are about. And that, that in itself is super, super inspiring. Um, I want to thank Brody for all he does. He's, um, like I said before, he's the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Uh, the magazine is growing and becoming more popular and more well-read, which it should be because it is really one of the most quality publications out there. Um, so congratulations to Brody on that. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're starting to top the charts on um, not only local community newspapers, but community newspapers in general. So that is super exciting. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in every week. We love you. Uh, please tell your friends to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms, iHeart, um, Google, um, uh, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. And we will be back again next week with an incredibly fantastic, exciting show. I have no idea what it's going to be about, but I can tell you that it will live up to all of those adjectives. Um, For me and the rest of the Rated LGBT radio team, thank you for tuning in. And we will talk to you again very, very soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 